Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Straight Talk Live. Uh, I'm one of the co-hosts, and I'm so glad to be with you today. And we already have a gathered panel panel that's going to be speaking, and we are at the end of Black History Month. And on Straight Talk, we call it that, I say once again, because we believe in a gospel-centered life. We know that uh, we're all fallen creatures, therefore our thoughts, our motives are, are a little bit crooked or skewed. And through Jesus Christ, he can purify our motives, purify our thoughts, teach us to think with sanctified logic, you know, and get our straight according to his word, according to his gospel. And I, I'm a firm believer that we need to bring together the academy and the church to face the public. The academy and the church have got to come together in a complementary marriage to engage our public, public, and we all become public theologians in that sense. And we've got a lot of issues going on in the world today, and we're going to talk about a few of them here today as well. But uh, before we get started, uh, uh, I'm going to I'm going to invite my other co-host to to greet everybody, Dennis. Thank you, Van. Uh, Welcome to everyone to our show today. Glad to have you with us on Straight Talk. We're excited. Even though this is the end of Black History Month, we're going to be still dealing with issues as we go into the other months. But glad you join us on Facebook Live. Please tell your friends about our show. Join the group so we can increase the number that's on. And those you watch it later on YouTube, uh, you can um, subscribe to our channel, Kingdom Governors. There's a playlist there for Straight Talk. And we're also on our podcast, which is um, anchor.fm forward slash talk straight. So we ask you to join us on our podcast too. Many of you have been saying how you've been enjoying the podcast. So we thank the Lord for all of you who are here and who are part of our uh, group as we come on and all of our panelists, our regulars who are on uh, with us every week. We thank the Lord for them coming from different parts of the country also. Now we're going to get back into the discussion for the day. I'm going to turn it back over to you, uh, Van. Yes, and uh, this may be our last week, but next week we've got a special guest coming on for two weeks. And I think all of you watching right now, you ought to come back for sure the next two weeks because we're going to have a very exciting conversation. But uh, yes, this is our last uh, topic of Black History Month. And I've invited the panelists to all jump in and share, summarize uh, their hearts, their feelings, their thoughts. And no one has to really answer anyone else, but we can have dialogue at the same time. But again, you see our panel, we're very diverse. Uh, We are male, we're female, we're black, we're white. Uh, We're just like the God. We're distinct, but we're inseparable. That's our goal, to be distinct, but inseparable. And so I'm grateful today. So... uh, Dr. Sterling Lands, what, what's up, my man? Well, we're blessed and highly favored by, by the Lord himself. As you know, um, I've probably heard we've gone through a significant winter storm here in Texas, particularly in the Austin area. Um, we were having up to seven inches of snow out, out in my backyard, and we didn't have water for a week, and people were down in other areas without electricity, but we've um, we've survived that. And um, we're now in the process of um, moving forward. There's not a lot of rebuilding because there was not a lot torn down Hmm. in the areas that we're involved in. 
But um, we continue on our uh, process of pursuing godliness as a family priority. And that is our number one focus uh, with our ministries and with the community of people that we serve, pursuing godliness as a family priority. And we believe that if that's done, then um, the secular, the carnal, those things which are ungodly can't cling to us because as I pursue godliness, it will cause us to shake the other things off. And it is with that in mind that we pursue our ministry here in Austin, Texas. All right. And I also have my, my friend from Alabama, uh, Tom Benz. I'd like, to, I'd like to offer a prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we look to you now as the author and the finisher of our faiths. You are our beginning and our ending. You are our summum bonum. You are our all in all. And Father, we look to you to help us, to make us one. Father, that as Van has mentioned, that you are distinct but inseparable. We ask that you, in your perfection, in your sovereignty, that you would work in each one of our, our lives until we are the same, distinct with the distinctives you've given us, but inseparable in spirit, in purpose, and in pursuing you as our Lord and as our Savior. Father, we ask that you would throw the blanket of your peace over us yes. and that you would cause the fire to burn within us. Mm that we could seek to love our brothers and our sisters across this globe, Amen. whatever their ethnicities may be, whatever their hues may be, whatever their cultures may be, but to recognize finally that we are indeed all in your image and all worthy of the same dignity, the same respect, the same love and the same care. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Tom. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> so, Thank you. Yeah. He's, he's a good brother. Every once yes. in a while, uh, Sterling, every once in a while, Tom prays. <laughs> um, Today like, is that day. Tom, <laughs> Tom your, your, prayers, uh, your prayer just lifted me. So uh, yes. you kind of keep me on your prayer list, please. I, I believe mm -hmm. God, I think God hears you, man. So, thank you. So, thank Elaine, you. you must be awake by now. Elaine is the only member of our panel that has to get up real early from the West Coast, and we are so <laughs> privileged to have her with us and so look forward to her having the summer off so she can be with us all the time. So, Elaine, thank you for being with us. And uh, any comments uh, you'd like to share today? Sure, love to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, first of all, thank you, Tom. Mm -hmm. for that prayer i mean you just brought us right into the throne room of god with that um and also sterling um, i'm so sorry that you all had to go through that storm but i am glad that you uh that you are well that your church is fine and that you have water and electricity um, and i'd also like to ask you um is there anything that people can do to help right now other than pray yeah, there, there are, um, I can't delineate the various categories where uh, the 
city as a whole and the people that live here are soliciting, but I'll be certain to get that. Um, there are a number of, uh, we, you know, we have the homeless issue and this type of weather exacerbates that uh, mm -hmm. challenge. So, um, but I will look into that. Thank you for asking the question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, because I think, I'm sure that there are lots of people who want to do something, uh, just not quite sure what to do. Yes. So that, I think that would be <clears throat> All right, so um, my question is, uh, and this is for, uh, for um, Dennis, Van, and Sterling. Of course, you can jump in too, Tom. Um, but if you could. <laughs> Thank you, my sister. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, if there was one or two things that would encompass Black History Month, not just that people need to know, but what they need to understand and implement into their lives. What would those one or two things be? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Elaine, I think uh, before uh, Dennis and Sterling join me, because I know they have thoughts too, and so does Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, uh, you know, we, we've got to have a multi uh, faceted, it's a complex situation. So there's no one view that answers everything. But mm -hmm. I'll say this, I found a quote on, on Facebook that I think speaks a little bit to the issue, because as you know, Elaine, I'm really concerned that uh, along with what Sterling's saying, a godly life, but I, um, uh, Dr. Uh, Michael Eric Dyson said that, he's a wordsmith, and he said the artery, main artery running through uh, the division of the black and white church is the main artery that runs through American history. And I had few people on Facebook today that I don't know, but they were posted. They were just saying, can we get beyond this? Why do we make so much fuss about Black History Month? And I thought uh, one Trump person posted this saying. It says, slavery is white history. How we survived it is black history. And whether you agree with that statement all or not, slavery is white history and how we survived it is black history. It says that we're both in this thing. We're both in it. We, that, that there is a knowledge that blacks need and there's a knowledge that whites need and we both need to, the whole nation needs to know, encapsulate the whole picture that's presented by that quote. And many whites have not uh, have, have a nod of knowledge. They study Western civilization and a little paragraph, a quick footnote, sentence about slavery, etc. But we need a comprehensive educational program starting in the lower grades and in all churches, black and white, about the real history of America, the coming of the Mayflower and the white lion coming to America because we both have a part to play in this. And until we accept that premise, we're, we're going nowhere together, except those of us who love the Lord, we know we're going to heaven. But in the meantime, there's going to be hell on earth. <laughs> That's just the reality of where we live. I think in reality too, man, I love that statement. Um, that the white history is the history of slavery and that our history is the history of survival. We have um, survived. 
And I think it is great in our time, Elaine, looking at Black History Month, that we move from being entertainers to being taken seriously. Because the history of us coming out of slavery and moving into mainline society is that we were a joke. We had to be laughed at. We made it in comedy. We made it in sitcoms, even uh, sports. I remember the early, as a small boy, I used to like to watch the Harlem Globetrotters, but they weren't permitted to play professional basketball just to do these skits and, um, and, and work around. So it was always that we were seen as the kind of um, joke and you know, the history of blackface in our country. Uh, with that, but then, you know, as we started doing, even in the theaters with drama, where, where Blacks just start being taken seriously. And then in, um, in the church, where Black preachers stop being so much a clown, even when they preach, but being taken seriously what they're saying. And so it, is, it has been this whole evolution of, of us coming to reality that we are, for us, for me, a human being and a, and a meaningful human being that can stand beside any any person, no matter what their race is, and that we are we're inclusive and uh, not necessarily exclusive of, of society and who we are. And I think that identity thing that we've come through many times with with uh, nigger, black, Afro is is been an identity crisis. I think we we all have have faced and tried to do. Uh, when I first came out of the military, I had an interview with the FBI. I had an um, Afro at the time, because it was in the early 70s. And he wanted me to cut my Afro off in order to get the job. My resume was okay, but he didn't like my look. And of course, I was militant back then. I wasn't going to cut my Afro off. So I didn't get the job only because I wouldn't cut my <laughs> Afro hairstyle. That's when I had hair, of course. <laughs> yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> Sterling? Well, I, I'm, uh, first of all, thank you for sharing that uh, piece. <laughs> I, I could see you as a militant, actually. <laughs> uh, I, I, I've not heard the, uh, the phrase that um, Brother Van just mentioned, but over the years, we've kind of settled that slavery was white history and that survival was black history, but I uh, never heard it put in such succinct terms. And so thank you for that. You know, not only is Black history world history, but it's it's a time of, of reflection. And uh, for some unknown reason, there are those who believe that it should be a, a time of celebration. Um, it's definitely a time of a commitment to making us stronger as a, as a people. And it's a chance to discover more about those who came before and helped shape the lives and experiences of so many. Unfortunately, that statement is based on a foundation that is, uh, that is built on sand because black folks did not just come over here to, uh, to tour America and to build um, America. Uh, black folks were actually stolen from their nation and brought over as slaves and our history did not start with slavery. And um, I, I'm, it's going to come out very clear anyway that I'm not really a, a Black history celebrant. I'm, I don't support the concept of Black history. I thought Woodson was a good guy, but I, did, I never agreed with his perspective. 
Um, I, I think we we limit ourselves in talking about black history as if black history is something that is encapsulated in the American experience mm. when reality is that it is it is so far greater than that. It's older than America, actually, and it's older than most of the European uh, nations uh, that now hold it up as a way of, of putting salve, a bomb, on their guilt for treating people so inhumanely. And uh, I refuse to help them feel better about themselves for, for killing and raping my, my, my ancestors. Uh, and I'm not angry. It's just that I'm, I choose not to uh, indulge in that type of, uh, of um, self-inflicted pain by saying that, yeah, we're really celebrating. I'm not celebrating this. So anyway, uh, now that I've gotten that out, um, there is, a, there is a, a significant value in studying uh, American history and including all facets of American history. We need to talk about uh, the fact that the Indians were were enslaved, believe it or not, um, and um, and uh, we know that disease wiped a large portion of them out, but they were enslaved here by the people who come over with the Bible in one hand and the and the uh, musket uh, in the other, and um, the blacks that were brought over, um, which millions of them died in the transatlantic uh, voyage. But um, the last time I saw any type of a compilation, there were over 12 million uh, blacks that were, that were actually kidnapped and brought over to this country. So th there is a reason and value in studying American history that includes uh, all areas and everything that we've done and until we're ready to, to open up and let the light shine on the atrocities, then we should not uh, celebrate and pat ourselves on the back about those things that we consider to be accomplishments. And I'll hold right there for the time being. Okay. And, I, and I, I don't want you guys to throw me off the show either. <laughs> no, we're not going to throw you off. <laughs> we wouldn't do that, brother. Well, I guess one of the reasons, I, I, I'll just say this as a, in a, an antithetical approach to Sterling, is that I, I, I agree with Carter G. Woodson that Black history is important because of this fact. Whoever controls the narrative uh, controls the present and future of a nation or a society. And the, the goal that I take off Carter G. Woodson is the reason we put Black history out there because the goal is to see Black history becoming a part of the whole narrative but we have had to push for that narrative, just like we've had to push for civil rights, just like we had to push for voting, just like we had to push against Jim Crow, just like we had to resist. And the celebration is that, that black history is a resistant history to oppression. And the fact that we have overcome and push against that oppression and still survive is a, is a celebration to me anyhow, because I got another Facebook where it shows present blacks walking up across a chasm on the shoulders and arms of the blacks who have gone before us, 
who gave their life, who suffered on plantations, who died in the transatlantic passion uh, crossing of the Atlantic Ocean and stuff. And we honor them and we want to take it even further than they went. And in that sense, uh, it is a celebration. By the way, uh, I find it, what I find really not to be a celebration is thinking about the white South, Sterling, uh, every year having a reenactment of the Civil War, <laughs> which they, they, they lost. And uh, yet they celebrate that event because they still have this mindset that the South shall rise again. And, and, and I don't think God's in favor of that, but I, am think, I do think God's in favor of all humankind, including Blacks, of being liberated and being able to stand in equality with everybody else. That's a challenge. That's what's before us. And so the people like uh, the baseball player there that was greater than Babe Ruth, you know, to, to be uh, the best ball player in America during Jim Croyism as he was, is a major accomplishment. I mean, emotionally what he had to go through, psychologically what he had to go through and still be the best. I mean, that is a horrific, uh, you know, challenge and opposition that he went through. And I celebrate him for that. And so, like I said in the beginning, there's just so many ways to look at history and there's no one perfect way to look at it. So I, I, I accept what my brother Sterling is sharing. I'm just presenting another slant to it from another angle. Thank you. Amen. Yes, sir. Tom, are you awakened down there? And uh... <laughs> Yeah, you just reminded me that we were defeated in that war. So. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, I heard him say that too. Uh, you know, I think you guys know that my roots are in Louisiana, and uh, I, I don't think that uh, Carolinas and Louisiana and Georgia, and I don't think they think they lost the war. I, I think that, that they've been waging the war um, since uh, the, the, the uh, war was supposed to have ended, and once Lincoln was gone, and everything was reversed, I think they began to celebrate victory. And that's why they dress up once a year and, uh, <laughs> and go through some of the ends. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, uh, I get the impression that perhaps perhaps uh, the history books may have gotten it incorrect, may, may the South lose. You know? Well, they won the narrative. That's for sure. They won the narrative. Yeah, the guy, uh, that's right. Whoever writes the narrative is in charge. That's right. All but I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. I believe that history teaches us to move forward. I, yes. I think that history teaches us to recognize our mistakes. I think that history teaches us to learn from the mistakes that have been made and, and the accomplishments also, and to ultimately create a better existence for everybody. So so I, I'm in line with, with, with the conclusions that have that uh, you've reached thus far. Uh, it, it's imperative for a comprehensive instruction in history uh, from where I sit to be in part of every uh, person's education. So, so when you don't know the history, and I'm talking about the full history, and that's why I, I, I don't buy into the American, uh, the, the concept of the black history, because I believe that it cuts our, our, our generation short and our young people don't know their real roots and our real roots were not slave. Yeah, I mean, I for one would like for us to not have a black history month, 
but to teach history as it really was. Yes, I'm with you. Let's, can you and I start a campaign? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> I mean, just the fact that, you, you know, you mentioned Sterling, 12 million blacks were enslaved, yeah. kidnapped and enslaved. I mean, how is that different from Hitler? And, and so if, and, and if that's, but the world agrees that Hitler was an evil, awful person and his policies were egregious and heinous, but you, know, you don't hear that conversation about earlier parts of our history. No. And I think that's, that's where we fall short. I, I think that's one of the real, real issues is we, we're still flying the Confederate flag. It should be outlawed. Yes. And that's why it's also the whole view of hypocrisy, because America has been quick to put down uh, communism and everything else in every other country, including Germany. But we, we've got a two by four in our own eye that we're not willing to take out, but we see the speck in the other people's eyes. Man, and, you know, I, I feel, Tom, go ahead, Tom, yeah. go ahead. No, no, well, I, I just wanted to say, I'm sure you spent time in Germany as well, but you know, you don't see statues of Hitler in Germany. No. You don't see Mengele, you don't see Himmler, you don't see mm. these guys. No. Yeah, they're in museums and as a, I think it was Rob Schenk who shared that no student in Germany gets to graduate from high school without getting a full knowledge of Hitler and Nazism before they go on in life. So they go out into life knowing the total picture. They had to physically I, visit yes, a concentration. Visit, physically go there. And uh, I, I would like to see us someday uh, when the COVID's over and everything, different places we could visit and meet and talk about things on our show too, different places of country in this country. But I think that the reality is, is that America has not faced the, we've created a false narrative. That's right. And, and guess what? Uh, black children, red children, yellow children, hear that false narrative every day, all the way through the school system. And then, so the only chance we have at this point is to develop a good narrative in the black church, in the white churches that will cooperate, uh, in the private schools to get a curriculum out there where they at least hear the story of our people from the inception of this nation. Now, it's, there's, you know, Lerone Bennett Jr., a historian, a black historian, wrote a book called Before the Mayflower. And so we need to study our history before the Mayflower is blacks, but we also must be aware of what's really going on in America from the inception of us arriving here and push back against the, the total narrative that is presented by just the Mayflower. And I think that all of America needs to get a better education so we can love each other in the end and respect each other and understand each other. Based on truth. Yes. Yes. Not, not based on the truth. Yes. And, and I, I think for me, the, the truth includes that we as a nation have to make a stand and acknowledge that, that this was terribly, terribly, terribly wrong. Yes. And you know, Tom, one of the painful things to me, uh, as you know, I have a lot of white evangelical friends. And you're I'm, not counting me in that number, are you? Oh, no, no, not you, Tom. You're, okay. you're different. No, you're, you're different, Tom. <laughs> 
Now, see, that line is what I heard all my life. <laughs> yeah, you're different, Tom. But here's I heard that line all my life. <laughs> here's the point. Here's the point, and then I'll shut up. But the reality is that my white evangelical friends really are pro-Israel. I mean, they think what happened to Israel was so bad, and we need to support them. We need to get. But when I when we bring up the sub of slavery in America, I don't see the same zeal. I don't see. I don't hear the same passion. I don't hear the same investment like towards reparations uh, to help bring us out of a post-traumatic slave syndrome because I think some things are generational uh, in behavior, if not in experience. But nevertheless, that, 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 that wounds my heart that I don't hear them as Tom is saying, we've got to tell the truth about America. We've got to, otherwise we got a false narrative about the past. We got a false premise in the present and we'll have a false premise in the future until we get this story straight. Van, I, I had never heard of the ship, the white lion <laughs> until you, you mentioned it to me in the last few weeks. I, and, and I got to say, it, it's impacted me because I, I guess I never thought where this started. And I certainly didn't realize it started within a year of the Mayflower. Yes. And that's, it, it causes me horror to think of that. And yeah. I, I, I just can't believe nobody ever told me that in school. Yes. Elaine, you're not going to leave us, are you? Um, not yet. Not you yet. Started, I'm, you started this whole conversation now. And I, I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I did. It's good. It's good. So now it's time for somebody else to start a conversation, unless you want to move on with this. Uh, I just wondered if you had any comment behind all of this. Maybe you wanted to take off anything. Oh, goodness. Um, well, what I'm hearing from all of you is that, first of all, um, we need to do much better with engaging with history, not just reading it, not just understanding it, but actually engaging, um, engaging with the entirety of American history. And the second thing that I'm hearing is that we need to do much better with treating people like they're created in the image of God because they yeah. are. And I think those two are actually tied very closely together, intimately connected. Mm -hmm. And um, my concern is that we may try to do one without the other. Yes. And if we do that, we will fail miserably. And so I'm wondering how do we do both in conjunction with each other because they are essentially married to each other in some ways. How do we do that well? Mm -hmm. Stress that question one more time, a little more concise to me, would you please? Okay. So since American history and treating people with dignity and respect, treating people like they are created in the image of God. They are, they are separate, they're different, but they are intimately connected as mm -hmm. well. So how do we do that well? How mm -hmm. do we engage with history and 
do the best we can to love people the way Jesus does at the same time? How do we do that? Well, because most people will do one or the other well, but not both mm-hmm. together well. Mm-hmm. So is that, are you asking like a, a Christian civility as well? You know, that where we, 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 like, I think it's very poor for us, Elaine, that everybody takes on this battleground language instead of a loving influence each other. It's a matter of fight with each other. It's, it's uh, ad hominems. Um, we condemn each other. We skew each other's reputation. We talk about each other in a, de- a very deplorable way instead of honoring each other and yet having civil debate on critical issues in society. And I think, Elaine, what you're bringing up, uh, the church and the academy could do a far better job of responding to a question like that and coming out with a plan. Because I think, I think we as uh, Americans, you know, we're, we're the product of neo-Platonic uh, dualism, where we think either or, instead of Aristotelian, both and. And I think that paradoxical thinking has to become a better part of our understanding and integration into our thinking so that we understand that we can have two, we can do two things at the same time. We can walk and chew gum as believers. And uh, I think that's a, that's a tremendous challenge for us. And I think that's the more mature posture that we must hold if we're going to see any revolution of thought and behavior take place in America, beginning with the black and white church. And I think our show is demonstrating part of that too. I mean, we, we are honoring and respecting each other, yet we're talking about American history. We, we love and, and honor each other. And, uh, and I love that about our show is that I think we are a paradigm to, uh, to the rest of the nation if they'll watch us, that uh, this is not an act here. We are sincerely trying to uh, pursue godliness, as, as Sterling says, and yet we are sincerely trying to engage all brothers and sisters uh, in this nation where the, the American experiment, that's what it was called in the, through the Enlightenment, this is an experiment. America is an experiment. And some parts of this experiment have not gone well, <laughs> and they're not. But we, as the church, until the black and white church get the main artery that runs through our division, our division straight, uh, it's not going to be holistic to the whole nation, but it's got to begin with you. It's got to begin with me. It's got to begin with us. Yeah. And I think as I respond to that, I think I, I, I will draw on what I am learning from my elder Sterling is that we, we, number one, we need to pursue godliness. Mm-hmm. Number one. Number one. Because until I have my own act in order, I really have no business talking about somebody else's act. Oh. <laughs> but, but I don't think that lets us off the hook from as Elaine and Van are suggesting is coming up with concrete ways to address the issues. Amen. Mm-hmm. And I and I and I agree with Van that this this show is is one example of how we can honestly grapple with issues. I mean, I, I, 
it, it's certainly been that place for me and it and as we grapple with issues it feeds my soul i find myself more sensitive i find myself growing in in areas i wasn't aware of that i needed to grow in you know and and i, I i'm really grateful for that mm-hmm. but 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 I, but the, to go back to dr elaine's question we need a plan and I don't know what that is. Yes. I think that uh, this country's approached uh, several things in terms of the plan. We've had two awakenings in uh, the 1730s and the 1830s that sparked uh, what we may call religious awakenings in this country. And, um, you know, some people have talked about the Azusa Street being a third awakening. Uh, it's been, a, I, I think unless we put Christ back in the center. It's, it's got to become a Christological idea if we're going to be Christians. And I don't mean a, a Christological idea by trying to find a racial Christ or trying to find a European or even a, a, a Black Christ, but Christ himself, his teachings, what, what he what he uh, done. Uh, Van, you mentioned something very, very uh, powerful a couple of times about the perspective of the white man and the Black man in terms of looking at Christianity, that uh, the black man uh, cries up, poor man cries, and, and he he needs help. Well, I see that thread running throughout the gospel when Jesus seems to have come for the underprivileged, the one who's down. Even when the Pharisee approaches him about the good Samaritan, who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives this example of this Samaritan who's already an outcast, who's already uh, racially seen as an outcast among society, but he helps somebody else who's even uh, down to them and, and the elite of the day, the, uh, the priest and the, uh, um, comes by and they don't help the man who's in trouble. And, and the obvious question is, who is my neighbor? And of course, it relates to one need, whether he's your same race or not. And I think if we get back to this idea that Jesus summed up the law, that it is summed up, and that whole uh, uh, Shema, where we go to Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, or we read 4, and, and you give us that benediction every time we go off. But the next verse says that you shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, until we really realize who is our neighbor, I think we're really going to have an issue because we're destroying lines or color on race, on, on denomination, on where we stand on whose Bible is right. We got a black Bible, we've got a white Bible, European concept, black concept. I think we're back to the idea of looking at it from a holiness standpoint as, as a sterling mission. If we can get the inside right, then maybe we can get the outside right. So, mm. so piety, you can, you can marry personal piety and public protest. You said that in the beginning. We can walk and chew gum. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a two wings on an airplane. <laughs> you know, I believe there's room for both. I believe there's room. And, and uh, Dennis, will you bring up uh, the awakenings uh, back to uh, William Seymour? Uh, the, I think also there's a supernatural element in this that some things will only be accomplished by the power of God. Amen. And the, the amazing thing about William Seymour 
is that yes, there were several uh, awakenings in the United States or short periods of it, but what Seymour birthed at Azusa ended up going around the whole world. Right. And, and yet this black man, it, he birthed that movement in the midst of America that was walking in Jim Crowism. Right. I mean, he learned what he learned about the Bible from Charles Parham, who was a racist, but a but having a Bible school. I mean, that's the same analogy that's going on in many places today still. Mm -hmm. And yet uh, only God can change a man's heart. But I think we have to be faithful to speak the truth in love and do our battle with spiritual powers, you know, through prayer. We do battle in prayer. We don't battle with people in public, <laughs> you know, and we love people. We should care for people. We, 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 we appeal to a people, you know, be reconciled to God and let's be reconciled to each other. But we do our battle in prayer, in spiritual warfare, because that is the power that is blinding minds uh, around the globe. That is blinding black and white minds, etc. But I think also, uh, Dennis, you brought up the point that we have a black Jesus. I think we should also, in scholarship, I think we should all labor to give uh, as, as accurate a presentation of Christ and his teachings as possible. I mean, if, as like, it's like Rob Shank said, if Jesus was a, a Middle Eastern Jew, uh, you know, which is Northeast mm -hmm. Africa, then he couldn't look European. I mean, right. let's just be honest here. Uh, I got a I got a text I got a, a Facebook today from somebody that Sterling and I know another bishop uh, posted on Facebook uh, of a white Jesus on the cross and and the the irony was I'm looking at this and I'm thinking you know today is the beginning of Lent Lenten season right so there's a whole lot of things we need to put down right now <laughs> in, in Lenten season but I was looking at this white Jesus on the cross and yes I looked to Jesus I looked to him but I'm troubled by this look on the cross because it's not it's not even historically accurate let alone he's white and again remembering that this whole color issue did not was not started by black people. It wasn't started right. by us. We didn't control the whole thing. And all we're looking for is I want some accuracy. Somebody please get rid of the great cover up and tell me the truth about history, the truth about Jesus, whether it's physical and his teachings as well. And all the blindness I'm taking to the Lord in prayer and, and, and doing spiritual warfare to believe God to pull down all the wicked imagination, all every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, every philosophic contemplation that stands against the kingdom of God, I'm believing God to defeat what I cannot win by myself. Wow. And I don't think we're talking about uh, academic accuracy here, but I think of Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 when he says, we once knew a man after the flesh but we don't know him after the flesh any longer. And I'm all for the accuracy, uh, scholastic and what we need to know. And we know the, the big cover up. And so that, that, that makes sense in a sense. But I'm saying if we're gonna get beyond where we're going with trying to get unity and, and pulling this piety and protest uh, together. And like you say, we've got this great effort in the white evangelical community to rescue Israel, yet we don't have 
the same idea to get away from the prejudice and the racism in this country. Is something wrong with that picture? You know, how can we be, and, and then on one side, I hate to say it, on one side, you worry about babies who are being aborted, but you don't worry about people who are losing their civil rights. Come on. Because people are, who say they're pro-life are really pro-birth. Yeah. Yeah, pro-birth. But what happens after they get born? Yeah. <laughs> well, we just had a situation go down in Rochester where a young black, a 40-year-old black guy who has a, he, he had some mental problems and he was having an episode and the cops came, they put him down. This is now, this all took place in winter a year ago. They put him down uh, in the streets with no clothes on and handcuffed him and let him lay there until he died. I mean, he died from that experience. And then the police uh, have been acquitted of all charges and and the black community is back out in Rochester because I have a I have a friend, uh, Dr. Uh, House, Christopher House, who's a PhD Christian pastor and a professor at Ithaca College uh, that it, it participates in Black Lives Matter, hashtag Black Lives Matter, which is for the movement, not the, the method. And so it, we're, we're still facing this in this nation today, but I think Elaine's question is so important that uh, you know, we go out into the public, then we got to go back to the altar. We, the way we keep our hearts right and our minds right, as Sterling has brought out, we got to go out into public, but then we got to go back to the altar. We got to spend time with, you know, Jesus. And I think, and I'll, Jesus, I thought was interesting. When you do a study of his ministry, he lived his life uh, doing public things between prayer meetings. He went from one prayer meeting to another sure. prayer meeting. And in between prayer meetings, he did public ministry. And I think if we follow that same concept, Sterling, I think you like that. We, if we follow that, then uh, we'll stay straight. We'll stay godly. We'll stay centered because Jesus, because uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fallenness in all of us that needs to be redeemed. That's for sure. And there's no ethnic group on the planet can say, oh, we're the righteous ones. We're no, we're all broke, busted and disgusted, toe up from the flow up, all of us. <laughs> and we need Jesus to come and save us for sure. I'd like to, to piggyback on, on those statements. Um, I, I think whenever we talk about um, unity, uh, we have a, a false narrative behind us because we don't appreciate that the unity that we speak of is really about peace, peace among uh, mankind. And you can't have peace, true peace, without the, the, the Prince of Peace. And we never invite the Prince of Peace to the table to talk about peace. Mm -hmm. So just, I'm just expanding upon what, what you've said, Brother Van. Yes, we must have our minds transformed so that we can appreciate the need to have Christ at the center of everything. Mm -hmm. Now, that is not a politically correct statement, but God is not politically correct. Yeah, he's just correct. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, but you know, uh, Sterling is one of something. Because I had a time to spend, and I think it's 1978, if not mistaken, maybe it's 76. My mind's a little crazy now. But we were in Jerusalem, 
in a charismatic um, conference. And it was a conference, uh, the conference was called a conference on the Holy Spirit. But I remember the commentary that was made at that conference. That was a conference on the Holy Spirit. And it was a dry night. The Holy Spirit didn't show up. And, and, and I think we do too many meetings on unity, where, as he said, the, the, the Prince of Peace doesn't show up. Yeah. Well, he's and, not invited. Yeah. I, I've been to a lot of political conferences that have been powered up. We're gonna, it's going to explode. It's going to be dynamic. And, and nothing happens. We come, uh, you know, we celebrate the 100 year celebration of uh, Zusa Street. And everybody was running from the east side to the west side of the nation to have, they thought was going to be a reenactment of Azusa Street when the 100 year celebration came about. Mm. It, didn't, it didn't happen. They were expecting another Azusa. And it just didn't happen in, in 2006. And you know what Sterling is saying that everybody, we want this unity, but we don't, we, what we're after is peace. And if you take the Hebrew word shalom, it means nothing broken, nothing out of place. Come on. So if that's the meaning of peace, then that's the truth of the matter. So if you come to the table and you're willing to deal with the things that are broken and out of place, then you can come to a place of unity. That's where truth will prevail. And it's got to be in both hearts. It's just like a husband and wife trying to work out the difficulties. If you're not looking for a win-win situation, if you're not looking for the truth of the matter and not being defensive, just laying it all on the altar, then the Lord can, can fix everything that's broken and everything that's out of place. And that took place since the fall of humanity. Everything has been broken and out of place since the Garden of Eden. And yes. so gospels, gospel preachers and gospel teachers and gospel school teachers and gospel Sunday school teachers, we ought to tell the story accurately and let everything that's broken and out of place be addressed from the gospel by the spirit of God to bring order. God is, the consummation is going to deal with the recreation, a recreation. God is restoring all things back to the original and so if we as the church are moving with God, then we ought to be on this path of seeing everything that got broken in the garden, bringing back to wholeness based on truth that comes out in the book of Revelation. Amen. Amen to that. But Tom, I like your points about Germany too. I don't, uh, you can't right now in America, everybody's still trying to shoot down a sensitivity training, you know, and uh, I used to be a prison chaplain for the Federal Bureau of Prisons. And I'll tell you, that sensitive tra training, uh, when you can't get people to live for Jesus, all right, then there's such a thing as called common grace, that God has given all humans a common grace, which means they can do a measure of what is right, even though they're not born again. That's the common grace of God. They don't have a saving grace. They have a common grace. And so when mm. I was working in the prison, in a criminogenic society as a prison is, there needs to be a lot of common grace, if not saving grace as well, flowing in that prison. But I had to do sensitivity training with this all white uh, guards and most of the inmates were black. And uh, I had to teach these guards, listen, don't say this to a brother. You're, you're gonna incite a riot if you treat him like this, if you act like this, if you try to imitate his talk, you know, when, when you're the authority, 
Next, you know, we're going to have a riot. So there has to be sensitivity training that takes place uh, in areas like that. I mean, this prison was so bad. Tom, you know the area, Bradford, Pennsylvania, uh, that when Black uh, uh, employees would move to uh, just south of Buffalo and want to work at this prison, the warden, who was a white man, would send all the potential Black employees to me. And I would tell them, no, you don't want to live here. Live over here and drive to the prison. Well, one Black guy, he said, no, I live where I want to. So his <laughs> second day on the job in this predominantly white area, and, uh, you know, let's put it this way. When I played football in this town, this white area in high school, uh, the first play, they tackled me, they spit on me, they kicked me, and my team had to drag me out of them to the bus and get, a, and get out of town. But for this black guy, when he got to his employment, he bought a house where he shouldn't have bought a house, and his first night in the house, somebody shot a gun through his window and the bullet went in his, just above his head, he left in the middle of the night. So when I say there are areas where you need sensitivity training in America under the common grace while you're praying and preaching that they come to saving grace, uh, you know, it has to take place. Sensitivity training has to be there because we don't know of ourselves and our fallenness how to really talk to each other like we ought to. So I'm interested in, in how you guys respond to Coca-Cola's communication to their employees that they need to be less white. Because <laughs> I tell you, when you go down the list of what they say, I, I mean, so I understand now that because I'm white, I am oppressive, I am arrogant, I am certain, I am defensive, I am ignorant, I'm not humble, I don't listen, I don't believe. Uh, and I am absolutely in solidarity, solidarity with my white brothers without respect to other truths. Wow. <laughs> so I, I just got to take Sterling's perspective. You know what? I'm just going to pursue godliness. I, you know, <laughs> you guys say what you want. I'm just going to try to serve Jesus and be the person God called me to be. But but I, I got to say, I just don't think that's the right way to 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 go about sensitivity training. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine was in context of a prison. Yeah. So I think I framed it correctly. It was in a prison where there's no, no choice. Yeah. This yeah. was not a free society out there, but I can go their own way. These are, these are 2,000 guys locked up behind walls with a bunch of white guards, and that was the life that I had to, that God had to open my eyes to a lot of things in that context. So yes, I meant in context. I, I would yeah, like but to I'm just saying out. is I'm sorry. No, you go forward, Tom. Finish that. I, I was just gonna no, I you <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I just want to point out, guys, that uh slavery was introduced into the 13 colonies. And let us not forget that the, the most hideous atrocities initially started in the Northeast of this country. So yeah, I know we beat up on the South a lot and I'm from the South, but uh, let's don't get it confused. It didn't start in the South. That's yeah, true. I, and I hate to get, uh, I, I hate to, uh, 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 what they call a non sequitur, which is to get off the subject, 
But I don't, I don't know why Sterling got to show up with a sweater that says Ghana, one of my favorite countries. And he's just going <laughs> off because he knows I don't have those kinds of shirts. <laughs> he knows he's got them. And he is spiting his brother, by the way. He needs a little sensitivity training. <laughs> <laughs> There's no sensitivity here. There's none. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yo, help me. Pray for me, guys. Pray for me. Yeah. So, Tom, we got a lot to talk about, pray about, believe God for. Um, I think there's no subject. We, we've got to be able to talk about it all. Well, it was interesting uh, to me that, that it, it really grated against me as I'm, as I'm reading this. And I also realized that in the larger picture, I, I, see, I see those issues. But right. I was taking it personally. Right. Yes. It's, it's like, you yeah, like one guy. One guy said to me, he says, you know, I'm against these, uh, I'm against this cancel culture coming from the Democrats. I said, cancer, cancel culture, that's, that's our story in this country for 400 years. My goodness. Don't talk to me about cancel culture. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. I mean, give me a break here. Cancel culture. Now, now you're concerned because it's about you, but you haven't, ra- you haven't said a sin. The fact that we've been canceled for hundreds of years. That's you exactly what I thought. You no, tried to cancel us. That was Thanks another James. one of my thoughts reading this list is I realized I, I've been stereotyped. Gosh, a lot of other people have been stereotyped. Yeah. <laughs> they, call, they call it profiling. You were profiled. <laughs> I was profiled. Yeah. Uh, so, so, Tom, you were reading while white. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You know, uh, this, this our country has a way, though, of flipping the script anytime it chooses when it is convenient for them. When crack cocaine was the uh, predominant um, uh, epidemic, drug ec- epidemic, it was war on drugs. It was uh, three strikes, you're out. It was uh, kill and chill. Kill or, or put them on ice for the rest of their lives. Now that Oxy moved in, it is suddenly we need to get more counseling. We need to set up more centers to help these poor people and to try and uh, to break their habits. Now, look, drugs are drugs are drugs by any other name of drugs. But the who's taking the drugs makes all the difference in the world. And the crazy thing, the crazy thing about it is that no black folks had planes or boats or any other means of bringing cocaine into the country. That means that it had to be brought in and put into the community in order for them to then say, we declare war on drugs. I'm just saying. I know we're about ready for our, uh, ready to close, man, but I think it's so important. I'm sure it's so important to come on next week. Could you just take a few minutes to highlight what's gonna happen next week so that I'll, Viewers can, and oh. thank all of you who've been commenting on Facebook. I appreciate your comments, and we'll, we will look at them, at them later. But uh, we're excited about the show we're going to have for the next couple of weeks. So yeah. as we get ready to close out, Ben, we can kind of highlight where we're going. Yes, sir. Um, the next two weeks here on Straight Talk, I've been invited a white gentleman uh, who lives in the Fifth Ward of Houston, Texas, who did his MDiv at uh, Duke Divinity School. And he wrote a book called The Unholy, America's Unholy Ghosts. And what he does, he looks at 
you know, Martin Luther King Jr. talked that in America, we will not change this society until we lay X to the root of our problems. And so this young man next week is going to look at what are those roots that Martin Luther King Jr. spoke of, which will take us back to the English Enlightenment period, and how that through Thomas Hobbes, uh, through Adam Smith, through John Locke, who influenced this nation, uh, how they had roots in racism at the same time, and it permeates, it moved from imagined to, to what, institutionalized, to ingrained, it's ingrained, and until we let access to that root. So he's gonna be with us two weeks, and I'm telling you, you're gonna be blown away by this young godly man because God has really blessed him with wonderful insight that'll help us all move this conversation and move our hearts a little further to the unity that God has really. Uh, so get your friends together, make sure you get a, re a recording together, get your notebooks because this young man, no sentence or word is wasted. He gets right to it. And I really love the brother. So you'll be blessed. Okay, thank you. We've had a great show today and thank all of you who've been viewing with us. And uh, we'll get ready to close out. I'm looking forward to the show next week. I will put a promo on our group page so that people can watch the promo that you yes. made too. Yes. That'll get us ready for the show next week. Amen. So I say to everyone as we uh, wrap up this uh, month of Black History Month that I'd like to see go year round. And it will, if I get to open my mouth, it's going to be year round. <laughs> At least when I talk, it's going to be. Uh, because I think it's so so vital to this nation and redemption. But I say that as uh, Tom began us in prayer, if we don't go from the altar, we'll, we'll be no good in public. If you don't go to the mm -hmm. altar, no good in public. So I say the Lord bless you and keep you. Make your face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon each one of you and give you shalom in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen and amen. Go with God in this Lenten season.